0: people who've been putting up with things for years, finally sort of speaking out and calling it out, right? Because I think that's what has to happen. Like it has to be called out and looked at and being like, hey, like this is messed up. Like this can't, Mm -hmm. we can't continue to operate like this. This is not how we truly create a global society in which everyone feels like they belong or like that that we all feel like we we can work in tandem and come to the
1: table like equally.
2: This is Aaron May.
1: I'm John-Henry Forster, and this is Awkward Silences. (sighs)
2: Silences. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. We're here today with Dr. Lisanne Norman, a UX research leader at Gusto. Today, we're going to talk about being Black in UX research. Thank you so much for joining
0: us yeah you're welcome thank you for having me i'm excited to have this conversation today i am too we got jh here too
1: yeah it feels like an overdue chat to be honest i think we've kind of touched on this topic like on the periphery or on adjacent topics but never head on so i'm excited for it
2: so let's uh dig into question number one what is your experience of being Black in UX research. And we've got some time to talk about this, but just to get the conversation started.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What's it been like? What's it like? It's been interesting. And I'm glad that you put the emphasis on my experience, right? Because one of the things that I end up talking with other sort of Black folks that I know in UX is that like, you know, we all have different experiences, right? It's not a monolithic experience. And I've been I was fortunate in the beginning of my UX career, I actually sort of fell into it by accident. I'll be very honest. Mm -hmm. I moved to Austin, Texas, thinking that I was going to teach at UT Austin after finishing the PhD, and we just couldn't come to good terms. And I was like, I need to find a job. And a good friend of mine who also was in the social anthropology program with me, she was like, well, Sam, you know that they, you know, you've got the anthropology degree. Tech companies will, you know, pay you good money just to talk to people because you know how to talk to people. And I kid you not. I was like, stop playing around, Andy. I'm trying to find a job. <laughs> right. And she was like, no, no, I'm serious. I promise you. And she was right. Uh, I did a search and I came across some companies in Austin because at the time I didn't understand that Austin was going through this tech boom. And that there were a lot of- When is this? Tech... Paint a picture. What's oh, the year? Oh, paint a picture. This is 2015. Okay, this okay. This is July, 2015, after driving cross country in our 2003 Volkswagen, station wagon that was full to the gills. So I, you know, a lot of tech companies are moving to Austin, setting up, you know, satellite offices, a few even headquarters. And so I found this research company called Centier Research. And at the time, two of the VPs were two female PhDs as well. And one was a Black woman. And I was like, after I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Like UX must be full. like <laughs> women, here's this VP. She's been doing this for a few years. And they had this project for Dell, this customer journey mapping project. And they were like, okay, you know, we already have a team. We need somebody to lead it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have absolutely no experience in this, I've never written a survey in my life. They were like, you're smart, you'll figure it out and we'll be here, go. And that's literally how it started. I, you know, took on this project and I loved it. I honestly, I loved, you know, planning out the research, engaging with the participants, thinking about like, how could we expand the scope of the study, you know, and working with this research team that I got to empower and, and helping to mentor them and learning from them as well. Right. And so I kind of got started in this really great way. And I sort of thought, you know, again, in this small research firm, I'm thinking, and there were, you know, there were two other Black people on the firm. There were a lot of women. Like, so this was, I was like, oh, wow, this UX world. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then that project went on for about a year. And then by the end of it, unfortunately, those two women had left the company. Mm -hmm. And it was just a different dynamic there. But fortunately, the the woman that had been doing the project for at Dell was like, hey, you know so much about, like, the Dell website, about, you know, sort of the UX problems, you know, like, would you consider coming over to Dell and working there? And I was like, okay, why not, you know? So I went to Dell for a short period, and that's where I really kind of started to see that, like, oh, well, they're not, there's not a lot of diversity In terms of race, you know, women in the, because I got to a design team that was predominantly male. And I was literally the only Black person on the team, if my memory serves me correctly, the whole time I was there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a learning experience. It was really interesting, but it just, it wasn't a great fit for me. And Visa headhunted me from there. And then I went over to Visa which, you know, was at the time really trying to turn into a tech company. So they were aggressively hiring and, you know, had this focus on diversity and inclusion. And it was really nice. The team I started off on was all women for like almost the entire year. It wasn't until I think seventh or eighth month into the team that they hired a man. And then, you know, he was black. So I was like, okay, so we've got women, we've got like, you know, we had, like, you know, Asian-Americans on the team. We had flex. So I was like, okay, we're building this, you know, really great, diverse team. Mm-hmm. But the problem is just that UX was totally, in terms of, in the space that we were working, internal play tools was totally new at Visa. And it was just really hard in terms of just, you know, getting folks to wrap their heads around, like, okay, we've got to think about the experience and, you know, taking a user-centric approach to it. And then it was also, you know, I found myself in this position where I would oftentimes, I was a director at that level, like be one of the few Black directors in the room. But then I have then the fact, but then the fact that I went to Harvard would often come up at any job more than anywhere else (laughs) I've ever been. It was this weird dynamic. It was baffling. They'd be like, oh, Sam, what do you think? And I'd be like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) we're talking about like... (laughs) operations planning i don't know about that and you know but it was like oh you know what is a harvard person the room thing so it was <laughs> a, it really, literally somebody said that once and i was like oh this is weird yeah and so it was so it's been an interesting experience like starting off at this company like that was diverse and then sort mm-hmm. of moving through spaces that weren't as diverse um and sort of then becoming an advocate for how do we think about who's at the table and then who are we talking to in terms of users and that's where Things really started to get interesting, and that's when I, you know, think about the struggles I started to face then in terms of being like, well, who are we? Who are we talking to? Or who do we? Who do you think you're designing this product mm-hmm. for? Right? And oftentimes, coming like people really, you know, and I'm conscious in many times, but really thinking that they're designing for somebody that's like them, right? Whereas mm-hmm. you know, one of the first principles in UX is that you know, like, you're not designing for yourself. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And so you need to sort of put that aside, but I don't, I think there's some time of disconnect between that. And I think people just naturally tend to fall into their own biases. And so there was a lot of oftentimes being like, okay, like I'm pushing for a very diverse participant pool. Do you feel like folks, you mentioned
2: the Harvard thing, right? It's like, oh, we've got Harvard here. Let's make sure to get the Harvard opinion. Do you feel like folks will lean to you when inclusion Topics come up, right? Like, hey, Lizanne, like, how, how do we make sure we're being inclusive here in our participant research or or what? How's that?
0: Go? So it's interesting. So now much more, but not initially. Like, okay. honestly, I feel like before last year, Georgia 2020, like it, it wasn't happening. Mm. I mean, I think like, after I left these, I went to work at an e-commerce startup in Austin where it was just, A, I got there and I was the only Black person on a team that grew from like 35 to 200 and i was still the only black person on mm. the team mm. mm-hmm. and when i would bring up things like we were you know like we were designing for like a, a wide demographic and i'd be like okay are we when we're getting pulling the data are we looking are we are we getting race demographic and they were like no why would we do that i was like well because that matters right like we're we're, if, we're design, if we're thinking about designing for everyone, then we have to be cognizant of the fact that like, race is a part of the experience mm-hmm. for a lot of folks that are using this product. And if we don't look at that, then we're alighting a part of their experience, right? And I got a lot of pushback. And mm-hmm. a lot of no, that doesn't matter. That's not important. Mm-hmm. We don't have to think I about see that. Race.
2: Yeah. <laughs> don't
0: Yeah. Don't race, Right. Like yeah. race doesn't matter. We're colorblind. I was like, oh yeah. boy, so that, that mm-hmm. was having that conversation, and then having to just really stand my ground. And, and I mean, it, it got to be, it, it got, it got to be frustrating. It, it was, you know, there was a lot of sort of like microaggressions that went on that I had to deal with. But I was like, I'm, not, and then, and then having someone when I pointed out the fact that I was the only black person, then making it my job. Oh, well, right. what do we do? Right, right. And then, and the thing is that initially you think, oh, okay, well I had, then I was like, well, and I started to do it. I, I put together a deck and I was gonna like, and then I was like, wait, what am I doing? This is not my job. Right. I'm not a recruiter. Like, I don't, you know, like I'm not in, like this is, this shouldn't be only for me. Or then the other thing was that I would only get like asked to be on interview panels when it was a black candidate. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, does no one see that this yeah, is a, bit it's a
1: little <laughs>
0: problematic <laughs> right
1: can as you're talking through all these experiences i'm just curious like across some of the experiences you just shared are there times where you know getting that opportunity is maybe can be kind of like rewarding or meaningful or, or things like that and then other times where it's just like got to be so frustrating and, and to your point like you can just see all the problems with it like what can you maybe like share an example that like felt like you actually got put in a spot where you could affect some positive change and like another example where you were like this again, like, how does this keep coming up? And why is this, you know, does that make any sense? I I don't know how to get to it, but like I'd imagine it's all over the map, right?
0: It is all over the map, right? It is. And in one way, like I was, it was great to be on this particularly this e-commerce platform because then I, I was like, Hey, I, you know, we found a recruiter. Luckily that like just had like this amazing reach. And I was like, look, at least we're talking to twenty-five people. I was like, let's. I at least like five of them must be black. Work it out, and they were able to do that, right? And they were able to because I was like, you know, this demographic. That's when we look at just the data. That's what we see. We're seeing that this is a percentage of our customers, but we're not thinking about their experiences. And it was great because what I noticed, I I then invited, made sure the PM was there and our engineer and like in these interviews. And they started to see the difference in experiences because these black customers were, there were stores that were located in low income neighborhoods and it was a totally different experience for them, like shopping at the store and then using this tool than it was for their white counterparts. and so that became clear and it was like this aha moment. And I was like, like, oh, I never would have thought. And I was like, yeah, I know, because you had a thought about like the breadth and depth of the experience. Just like different folks have different, and we have to be aware of that. So that felt great to be able to sort of introduce because it really did make a difference in the design and the approach. And even just for the company overall to sort of have to watch these interviews where we're just were talking about how in their basically at the heart of their experience was you know like they would go to the meat counter and buy sliced ham and they would have to pay immediately at the meat counter where they know when they went to other other places of these stores and other neighborhoods they could take it to the front and pay Mm -hmm. for it right so there's this Mm -hmm. underlying assumption that you're you're stealing Mm -hmm. or that you can be a potential thief and i was like that that changes that experience now this introduces this other layer of tension into experience that might already be tense because you know we don't know if this person came here if they knew they had enough money or if they're finding what they want if they're there with their kids like so this it's just you introduce this other way of tension and and being unaware of how that makes that person feel and how that changes the experience and so it really it was an eye opening for like my team but also too for just execs who ended up seeing this research because again they never thought about it because no one ever related that but that was the experience so so that was definitely a rewarding moment. Um, and then there were just like frustrating moments, you know, like being a, a, a black female and I'm small in stature and I look pretty young. And so I'm in Texas, right? So i <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> the majority of our participants sometimes were just, you know, like older aged white men and come into the room. And I had a, a, a white male colleague who was the PM, but like I was, it was my show. And he would kind of sit off in the back. But they would address him and questions to him. Hmm. And he had to be like, no, she is the one leading mm-hmm. the interview. And so dealing with that or noticing like if it was just me in the room, because I remember a couple of times he couldn't make it and I couldn't get someone to take notes. And just like the inappropriate comments that happened, but that didn't occur when he was in the room. And so it was just all these different things that you sort of have to take into consideration and have to deal with and navigate. You know, being black in UX and being, you know, a researcher and trying to sort of, you know, find a way to conduct these interviews while minimizing tension, of course, for the participant, but then having to manage your own tension Mm -hmm. (laughs) and having to manage, you know, those emotions on your side. And it could be, you know, sometimes it was exact. It was just, you know, like I'd be after three interviews, four interviews in a day, it'd be like, okay, I'm just mentally done a little bit right now.
1: I just want, I mean, before we get back to questions, it's like, that sounds like a really shitty thing to have to experience. I'm sorry <laughs> that you found yourself in that situation. It's, it is, uh, but you. I think you you shared it in a way that I think uh, will really help people understand. So I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah. I mean, I and, and I got the thing too, I'm trying to be really open and share this so that people think about it, especially like other folks working in mm-hmm. UX, right? To think about like, yes, it's going to user, but like, think about your colleagues, right? Who, you know, like that's something we've been thinking about a lot and talking about a lot. As I've been doing these talks, like for, you know, South by, we did a talk on dismantling white supremacy in design and design and, another talk on inclusive design. And, and a lot of it too is for, you know, for UX folks is that we have to think about it and be able to confront our own biases, right. And be able to be honest about a lack of awareness about what, you know, someone of a different race or different ethnicity or gender or sexuality or like might be experiencing, like figuring out ways, like is the way in which we're designing and approaching design, like, is that inclusive, right? Like, are we able to confront our own biases, put them aside sort of think about when we're creating a product, like who, who could be most harmed by this, mm. right? Like what's the most vulnerable community that could potentially use this product and starting to design from there because if you solve for that community, everybody else benefits. Like I can, I say this over and over again all the time. Everybody else will benefit from that.
1: Yeah, I feel like you see a lot of those wins uh, in the accessibility side of the world too. Yes. Like when you just make things more accessible, it, it feels like a similar kind of thread there. I, I have a question that maybe is a lot to unpack, but I'm curious how you think about this. <laughs> is I, I feel this, and I feel like I see it in the space a little bit in research of just like, on one hand you know there's this really like individual aspect like we're getting to know somebody and and their experiences and they're sharing with us and you know what makes them and and all of that and we really zoom in and then there's this very like identity centric piece of well we have to be mindful of things like race and and income and other factors that are going to have different experiences because we want to be representative and make sure we're getting a meaningful sample and and talking to inter you know individuals from all these different walks of life like I feel like sometimes when people have the conversations here, they kind of drift to one end of the spectrum or the other. And it it feels like it's this kind of like, I don't know, loop or they're interconnected. I don't know how you think about that, but like, how do you get the balance right between like hearing somebody and like learning about their experiences and not, you know, stereotyping them or leaning on their identity too much, but also keeping identity in the forefront of what you're doing so that like you get good representation and you don't, you know, do research where you don't talk to any black people or, or something like that.
0: Yeah, That's true. It is a balance to strike. And I think, again, starting from like who you're recruiting, so I'm always like making sure, okay, are we recruiting across regional demographics, as well as income? You know, like, are we thinking about folks who are disabled? And in the conversation, I think what it is making someone feel comfortable and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe even offering up a little bit of your own vulnerability, like in, in finding, I try to, I find ways to, particularly I've noticed when I'm interviewing folks who are of color or who are of a low income background, like thinking about like, where are the places we connect? Mm-hmm. Because often what I find is that they're in a position where like, no one's asked them their opinion. No, mm-hmm. no one's asked them what they think about this. And so finding a way to connect it and then, and empower at the same time, they're like, that's so, like, it, I really appreciate that you're coming here and you're willing to share your experience with me. Like you're, you know, like this is I, like what you're sharing with me is so important. It's going to really help me to design a, pr- a better product. And I find that often helps people to like, to be, to get a little bit more comfortable and then be able to be open. And in that openness, like they talk about, just talk about their experience without zeroing in on it, right? Like being able to pay attention enough to be like, you know, Hey, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Right? Like now we're talking to like hourly wage workers to try to understand like how they think about financial wellness. Right. And that's a hard topic to talk to someone about like their money, where they're putting it, where they're spending it, how they're spending it. You know, like in someone telling me something, you know, like, yeah, you know, I live paycheck to paycheck. And and for me in some ways, I'm like, you know what? I remember that experience and, and I, so I bring that up and it makes them not feel so alone, I think. So i really try to think about what ways can I, and there's so many different ways to connect with someone. So they sort of feel like, oh, hey, you know, I'm not under a microscope, like, and that this is a conversation and I see you as a human being and a person. And not to somebody I want to extract from, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing too that we have to be careful of making. Like we're not just here to just be extractive, but at the same time, like how can I be additive? Like how you know, like I'm learning from you, you're learning potential mm-hmm. from me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's an exchange and a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I even think like even when I word my emails, like I you know instead of saying interview, I'm like a conversation. Like are you open? to like having a 60 minute conversation with me, you know, and the thank you for your valuable time and input. Right. Again, just using certain words over and over that give them this, like what you're sharing with me, what you like, it, it all has value. Does that make sense? Or am I like,
2: <laughs> Totally makes sense. You know, finding just common grounds to, this came up recently we were talking about doing research in Arabic cultures, right. And just, you know, what some of the implications could be there in terms of, comfort with talking to a moderator and how do you set folks up to to feel comfortable
0: and and that you say like i really think and thinking about like with who would they feel comfortable with right mm-hmm. and or like because i mean i think in those situations like just because i've had the same instance where like i was doing research in a muslim community and it was initially a problem to them that i was american right? Mm. Or that or or like visibly American, right? I'm actually Jamaican, but I grew up here. So I'm also American. (laughs) Right, And because they were like, you know, in your country, all your people think that we just go around blowing things up, right? Like this, uh, you know, these assumptions, Mm. stereotypes that get associated with your nationality, who you are, and, and sort of having to be like, you know, well, that's this larger narrative, but that's not true of everyone, right? And making sure that to express that so that they understood that. And then that opened up like a, a different ground for us to have a conversation. But even thinking about, you know, like I, I did notice uh, a friend of mine actually stopped the interview we were doing once with this elderly black woman. She was like, well, Sam, she's clearly uncomfortable. Would you go in and take over the interview? Mm. And the tone did change when I went in. Like she, you know, and she, the woman, she said she was like, oh, she was like, okay, I feel so much more comfortable talking to you. And we have to be like, you know, just cognizant. That's just the reality, right? Like based on people's experiences, it might be harder for them to connect. Like with, you know, like with for her, it was harder for her to connect with my, you know, younger white female colleague than it was for her to connect with me, like as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to, we were doing research, right? To, To take that into consideration, to think about little things like, you know, what you're wearing, if you are going to talk to someone from, you know, different income backgrounds or just different neighbors or like, how do you, how you speak or how you posture, how you position yourself even. And that kind of the positioning thing actually kind of learned from teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was never that person that like sat at the head of the table, you know, I was always kind of like moving around and like sitting amongst my students just in one sense, because I, I was like, this is a, again, it's a conversation and I'm learning from you and we're creating a dynamic in this classroom where I'm learning from you too. And I want you to be empowered and I want, and be able to share your thoughts and feelings without feeling like that there's this huge power dynamic. Yes, there's a power dynamic. We can't, that doesn't can go away, but I don't want us to, to harp on it or to overemphasize it and, mm-hmm. and make that be a barrier in you sharing your thoughts and feeling able to share to like to speak freely
1: all right a quick awkward interruption here it's fun to talk about user research but you know what's really fun is doing user research and we want to help you with that
2: we want to help you so much that we have created a special place it's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free
1: we all know we should be talking to users more so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out.
2: And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. It's it, as you talk about this, I'm just caring about, you know, how much you have to balance at the same time, right? Like I in one instance, you were talking about, you know, they didn't know I, I was the moderator, right? They were like, oh, yes. this, this is the person leading things? <laughs> Couldn't be her. And then in another, it's like, I'm not scary. You know, you can interact and trust with me. And just like having, you know, to find that balance, it's a lot a lot to yeah. carry. Yeah. Yeah. You founded Black UX in Austin. Black UX Austin. Tell us about it. What What's it all about? Why'd
0: you create it? so that had an interesting story so that again started with uh, the black male vp that uh, i had at centir and she one day she was like well she was like well sam she was like you know what she's like i there's some people i want you to meet and i was like okay sure let's do this and it turns out she knew me and she knew about three other women like black women who were re- ux researchers in austin and then a black male designer and she just sort of gathered us for a happy hour and we just got to meet each other and to talk shop and to talk about our experiences, you know, being black. And we just started to constantly just meet continuously like every few months and share conference information and share strategies and things like that. And then about, what was it? at I'm 20 I mean, years now, 2020, February <laughs> 2020, for Black History Month, another design organization called, I think Fresh Design, reached out to us and asked us just, we would, of the like few of us, if I wanted to host like a Black History Month conversation to talk about like being Black in UX and in design. And I invited, you know, a couple of these women I knew. I was like, hey, do you all want to come and be on this panel with me? And in that process, the folks at Meetup were like, you know, have you guys thought about like officially becoming an organization? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, we've talked about it, but like we're all so busy. And they were like, well, we can help you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so literally Meetup helped us to like formalize Black UX. And then one of my co-founders, Carmen Bruns, she was, you know, just had been one of these women that I'd been clearly meeting with. And we were like, okay, let's do this. And then we launched Black UX. Once we sort of put out there officially, we were so surprised by the feedback and like (laughs) how many people that we found in Austin and who were like, and then around all, like in Dallas and Houston, who were like, oh, wait, what are you guys doing? Like, Mm. can we join? And then too, I think what really did help was, you know, that we were all sort of like in our houses kind of shut down. And so we were like, you know, this is something to do. And we started hosting like these really great, like virtual events that like everybody could attend, that we're open to anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> who wants to attend these events. And we started finding like Black designers and black researchers to come in and just talk to folks to think about, you know, having ways we can like create mentor program, mentorship programs. And then we found out about uh, Dallas Black UX and we partnered with them and did a panel on how to break into UX because that's the thing too that we started to find like there were a lot of people of color who were super really interested in getting into design or research but had no idea how to Mm -hmm. or like what would be the best way or like some tips and tricks or something to give them um some pointers, right, or then even be able to introduce them to, you know, folks in the industry who were in a hiring capacity. And so we started to do that. And we've just been, you know, we were able to really just sort of grow it and hold different events. Like, you know, even in Latinx history month, we hosted like a panel on being Latinx in in design and being like, let's, you know, like let's hold a space for like, you know, like our colleagues and our allies as well. And so it's, it's been a really, it's been a great journey. <laughs> we're sort of now trying to, it was a lot. Like we went, because I think we were all like on lockdown so we had more time. Right. So we were like really into it. And then it, I we just started to feel a little bit of burnout. So we haven't sure. been um, doing as many events as we did during 2020, but we're kind of stepping back and do a little bit of a reset so that we can set up a more, formal mentorship program and like portfolio review mm-hmm. because then the other piece of it too we're like okay the you points how to break in but then it's points like how do you interview right and like then different companies interview like the Amazon interview is totally different than the Facebook interview or just like a a smaller startup interview. So mm-hmm. like actually having advice and taking folks through those experience, because there are a lot of us who've done those interviews and have that experience and feedback to share. Um, with the community, as well as just, you know, finding ways to amplify our voices, you know, sharing conferences, sharing opportunities where, you know, we think folks could plug in and apply to to speak on panels or that kind of thing. Fantastic.
2: And if if folks are interested, how can they find you on the interwebs or? The
0: best place right now is like on the meetup. Like we, Mm -hmm. we still have like our meetup group as well. And it has all the information, so it's easiest to do that there. And then there's a possibility for folks who identify um, of being of of Black descent, then they can join our Affinity Slack group. Great.
1: You mentioned um, at the very beginning, uh, you know, like framing it as your experience, since everyone has their own experience in, in this world. With that uh, group of people, like, you know, Black UX Austin, have you seen any patterns as you talk to people, like, you know, working in different environments at different stage companies and all that sort of stuff? Like, are there, are there some things that are kind of moving in the same direction and that's encouraging or it's all over the place and, and everyone, you know, depending on their situation is having a very different experience. Like any, anything that you've been able to pick out of that from connecting with such a wide community of folks?
0: Wow, that's a good question. So now what's really great to see is the, like the opening up of positions and companies are putting more attention and focus on hiring folks who don't have a lot of experience. You know, one of the patterns I did know in this and, and, and the other thing, that' we're problem we're trying to address is so most of the companies, you know, folks with no experience, but then they want folks who have had like a certificate from like general assembly or something mm-hmm. or a more known entity and are not as open to taking folks who don't have that kind of certificate or who, you know, maybe got more experience doing work for nonprofit organizations and can show like that kind of work. And that's been something that we've noticed and we're trying to think about like, you know, how do we highlight that to companies that that work is just as valid and shows, you know, more hands-on real world experience. That's a real
2: talent because I feel like you need short hands for hiring and that's where credentials emerge from. Yeah. But then they're so reductive, right, or can be. and they can um, be. They can be, and so. Finding, you know, the job to be done for the the hiring entity <laughs> is save me some time, find me some good people, but then the tools to do that
0: can be inadequate and exclusionary. Yeah, like it's really exclusionary. And the other thing too, actually, just the pattern you just reminded me mm-hmm. is that you know where people did go to school, right? There's a tendency to want people to come from certain schools. But like, you know, a lot of the sites, you know, they went to smaller schools or like mm-hmm. HBCUs and a friend and I like opened my eye to, to my own bias towards folks who went to certain schools because, you know, she didn't have like she didn't finish high school. She didn't get a college degree, but she like she learned on the job. And now she's this amazing product manager. And she was like, listen, you know, what ways are you prioritizing that someone must have this BA? and where it's from and you know and are you or the is the ways in which you're looking or the way that you're wording the job description you know would be encouraging of someone who has more life experience or like on the job like hands-on experience that would allow for that right because that's a totally different perspective right like that is being more inclusive that is really like widening like you know the scope of who's at the table And that's been something for me personally that I worked in, but also too, that now that we're like pushing and encouraging to think about like, how do we then provide like, you know, some kind of input to what the job description could look like, or what are the different ways to look for candidates that would capture those kinds of candidates and attract those kinds of candidates?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if I've learned anything about UX researchers, uh, my time talking to them, the, the path is winding and there's no one set one. So of all the jobs to have a, you know, sort of set path or a set of requirements doesn't feel like the, the right one. But again, back to the kind of cold start problem of yeah. maybe for someone who's never had this job before, you know, who's going to take that leap of faith? And I think that's why it feels like, you know, the Black UX community is so important and, you know, communities like that to getting folks in the door and getting started on that path
0: yes yes definitely and then providing a a bit thing to just providing a community Mm
1: -hmm. where
0: we can come and talk about like the experiences and you know it's gonna be somebody who understands right and who empathizes and and who could also then offer like well here's a potential way for you to to deal with this or this is what i've tried at my company Mm -hmm. um and then also to then like job referrals right like we're all you know trying to sort of like, how do we increase diversity companies, which is nice now. Like companies are really looking for ways to do that. And so they've been approaching us, you know, and then we, you know, they've been like, okay, like we have this community, but like we vet them. We're like, okay, like, what is it, what does DEI look like at your company? You mm-hmm. know, like if we do, you know, sort of advertise your job, like, and you get someone, you know, a black designer, black UX researcher at your company, like is the culture at your company that in which it can you know, support them and be able to be somewhere where they can show up authentically. And I think that's one of the places that a lot of these companies have a lot of work to do.
1: Yes. Um, what, what are some of the things you look at? Like when you're trying to figure out if an employer is just talking the talk or if they actually, you know, have a supportive and encouraging environment in, that, in those areas, like how do you try to poke at that from uh, as an outsider?
0: The first place is like, do you have somebody or group a team for diversity inclusion? And where does that person sit, Mm -hmm. right? Is that person the C-suite? Do they, who do they report to? Is it just this one token person? How long have they been there? You know, what does the program actually look like? You know, and is it, what do you, how is it embedded in the values of the company? And how do you, like, how do employees see it show up in their everyday, like, day-to-day? So we've been, you know, looking at the, like, the teens, and then, like, and then actually reaching out and, like, talking to Mm -hmm. people. Like, being like, okay, thanks, you approached us. And then we get on LinkedIn. (laughs) It's
1: such a a researcher answer. (laughs) We're like, oh, we just got to talk to
0: people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i know right i'm like that we go by then we do research because you know companies are of course they're gonna sure, say yeah, well yeah. yeah we're committed and we want to do this and that but like the, but the reality oftentimes when you sort of do that research you kind of find out that it's it's unfortunate there have been times when we we're like it's total lip mm-hmm. service and we've and we've said no you can't we can't we're not gonna you know like open up our community for you to come like and talk to because we're not and we're very straight up we're like because we don't see we don't see that you're doing more mm-hmm. than just lip service and just reaching out to try to get more Black people. And we don't see anything on the side where your your culture is changing mm-hmm. in order to make it so that like any Black employee that joins is going to feel like they belong and is going to feel like they can show up and be authentically themselves.
2: Yeah. And just to, to drill a little more into that, you know, making Black folks and and everyone feel like they are belonging and part of the culture and what that looks like what are some things you look for i suppose it's different from company to company and we're talking about you know infinitely different individuals but yeah. what might that look like what
0: well like in our leadership you always go back to like who are in, who are the folks in the leadership position right like is it like is it is there some reflection? of diversity like are there any women are there any people of color Mm -hmm. you know how long have they been there what are their roles right because one of the things that you know unfortunately we've seen yes you'll see people of color particularly women of color but they're in hr Mm -hmm. right like they're not in engineering Mm -hmm. they're not in strategic planning they're not the cfo they're not so looking at like really looking at, at that and you know like those different positions and like centers of power in the and company. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like centers of people who, who have the ability to influence something, right. To make a change. And, you know, but also looking at the DI programs, like that was one of the things I will say for Gusto, like that was a huge sell to how, like, I was like, okay, Gusto, like I'm, I'm going to come over because they have this, their rise program is truly like one of the ro- most robust that I've seen at. A company like they have like it's you know they've got programming that they you know like for the leaf for every level (laughs) in the company and for the different departments tailored to those departments and then they have like leaders who are part of their that like are responsible for doing the dei assessment in like each like different segments and you know like i won't i'll be you know in some segments they're doing more than in others right so, I think there's some work to be there, but overall, like it's something that they've really promoted. And like conversations that have come out of that program have actually led to like certain products no longer being offered or just at least stopping on the product and then reassessing it through a diversity and inclusion lens to be like, oh, wait a minute, like we weren't aware that this product could cause harm, harm and now we are how do we assess it? And then, you know, after assessment, do we move forward with it? Or do we just cut it? Do we just stop altogether? I've not seen that (laughs) at many other tech companies. So I, that, that really, that really impressed me. That's
2: great. You you mentioned at the beginning, you had your first kind of UX research job and you're like, wow, there's, you know, so many women, black women, and (laughs) this is incredible. And then you kind of went to another company and that was not exactly your experience. And, You've kind of seen the gamut in terms of representation, um, or I think there was one where it's like, wow, it's diverse, but we're not so much like doing the UX thing. So where, like, at, you know, from your vantage point and from your experience being part of some of these communities and you know having more eyes into other organizations, where do you think are you seeing progress? I mean, obviously there's a ton more to do, but both in terms of designing for Black and other experiences, as well as making work environments more welcoming to Black researchers and others, are where are we in our journey from what
0: you have experienced and observed? I think that there's been movement, definitely, right? So it's been really interesting the past seven months. I've been working on this project where I I've just ended up reaching out to a lot of other like Black UX researchers, Black designers. And in some cases, they were like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah, I know a few. And then there've been cases where like in, in 2021 and as late as July, <laughs> I met woman where she was like, oh my God, there's another Black UX researcher. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, whoa, that's great. Like, I was like, yes, there are quite a few of us. Let me introduce you to this community mm-hmm. that's formed. And so I, I think that there, there definitely is movement. And what gives me really hope is like, you know, things like seeing at like Airbnb, like them hiring Benjamin Earl Evans and talking about like, okay, hi, we need somebody who works on product inclusion, right? And energy at, at Google. And then even at recently as at uh, Visa, they've, you know, appointed someone like director of product inclusion, So there's now, there's a sense in which I think companies are waking up to the the realization that like, oh, wait a minute, Uh, we have not been designing inclusively We have not been thinking about a a plethora, uh, you know, or multiple experiences. So I love seeing that. And I think that there is, of course, people are, everyone's sort of more aware now and looking around at their, you know, like their employees and being like, oh, wait, we have like 2% Black people. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's not good. Mm -hmm. I just, I hope that it's not a trend, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, like, there just is a part of me that's, like, cautioned, like, okay, like, I hope this is not a trend, and how do we think about more permanent ways to make sure that this becomes an embedded part of these companies? And even, like, looking, you know, like, looking at the design process and thinking about, like, what are the ways in which that process in and of itself continues to support like white supremacy needs to perpetuate it, like we kind of have to think about like, you know, like, are we thinking about our biases? Like, you know, is the design thinking process is the how might we? It's at really the most inclusive way for us to sort of, you know, go about this design process. And I think that there's, I'd like to see more conversation about that and more conversation about what does it really mean like for inclusive design? And is there like, how do we change our process now? So that's just the norm, right? And it's not this, this other thing that we need to bring in experts for to help us with, but that it becomes the normal way in which we operate, like just from the beginning when we're thinking about like product design. So I do have hope and I do see that, that folks are moving the needle and I see that there's more outspokenness, I think, amongst people of color to be like, wait, hey, wait a minute, like my voice here, you know, and when things happen, Mm -hmm. at a company now like as we're seeing like constantly you know like people who've been putting up with things for years finally sort of speaking out and calling it out right because i think that's what has to happen like it has to be called out and looked at and being like hey like this is messed up like this can't Mm -hmm. we can't continue to operate like this this is not how we truly create a global society in which everyone feels like they belong or like that that we all feel like we can we can work in tandem and come to the table like equally
2: well thank you for helping us do that a little bit today removing some boundaries and sharing your experience
0: and really appreciate your uh sharing your experience with us No, Yo, thank you so much thank you guys for inviting me i'm glad we were able to make this happen um this is a great conversation i appreciate you making the space for this
1: thanks for hanging out with us this is great
2: Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews.
1: Theme music by Fragile Gang.
2: Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.